Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Today we're going to deal with uh, the theology in our theology series, Doctrine and Devotion. We look at God as Creator. So you've got the handout in front of you, and before we get started, let's turn our hearts and attention to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started with our lecture for tonight. Our Father, you are great and gracious. You are the creator and sustainer of life. And Lord, as we gather in this room today, much like Abram all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, Lord, some of us are gathering with a sense of fear about what has been or what might be or what we anticipate. Some of us, Heavenly Father, are gathering with a sense of uncertainty We're not entirely sure what is going on in our lives or what is going on in the lives of those around us. Father, some of us are gathering not so much with uncertainty or with fear, but Lord, there's turmoil within. We know what's going on. We are experiencing some difficulty or tragedy or challenge. Father, it is so easy for us to be called up in our own circumstances and our own lives. And yet, Father, when we come to you in prayer, we do not come to you with, as a God who's limited by our situations. We come to you, Heavenly Father, as the creator and sustainer of all life. We come to you, Heavenly Father, as the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. We come to you, Heavenly Father, as the one who is able, the one who has done abundantly, exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine, according to Ephesians chapter 3. We come to you, Heavenly Father, as one who is glorious and Lord, and so we praise you. We praise you for your creation. We praise you for your majesty. We praise you for your lordship. We praise you for your redemption and work in our lives. We praise you that you are glorious and great. And Lord, as we praise you and acknowledge you, we also recognize how far we fall short of what you expect and your standards. We recognize, Lord, that so often the turmoil, the fear, the uncertainty that, that um, handicap us spiritually, many of those things are things of our own making. They're, they're things that we've caused because of our sinfulness. Or at least they've been caused because of somebody else's sinfulness. Lord, we live in a broken and fallen world. Fallen in our own hearts, fallen in our own lives, fallen in our families, fallen in our nation, fallen in our community. So Heavenly Father, we come to you as the God who is able and we ask you to intervene. I pray, Lord, that as we just sang, you would teach us to trust in you, to lean on your arms that will hold us and carry us if we will simply depend on you. Lord, I pray for those prayer requests that are burning up in the hearts and lives of those in our congregation tonight. So many in our community, so many in our church family. Cancer, surgeries, internal fears, uh, health circumstances, deaths. Father, we lift these up to you and pray that you would intervene, pray that you would help, pray that you would heal, pray that you would strengthen, pray that you would comfort. Heavenly Father, we pray that tonight as we reflect on the truth of what Scripture teaches about you as Creator, we pray, Lord God, that you would assure us of your greatness, your glory, and your majesty, that you would teach us from your Word, that you would open our eyes uh, to see and our ears to understand, our hearts to apply, and our lives to practice what we 
here and what we learn today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to work in the life of our church. Help us be faithful to you and seek you first in all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A uh, couple of quick things, just kind of uh, internal things, making sure you're aware of some stuff. These lectures are available on podcast. So our previous lectures in this series are available on podcast. If you want to make sure you follow up, you can go to our church uh, uh, podcast channel and, and like that and, uh, and log in and you can, you can get those podcasts. This will be recorded tonight, we hope. We pray we've been recording in the, in the sanctuary, so we are recording currently, and so we are going to hope that this works. If it doesn't, we're going to uh, kick back and punt, and maybe I'll teach this again next week if that happens that way. Um, not really. We're going to spend a few more weeks dealing with the doctrine of God. For certain, next week we will deal with God's sovereignty and providence, um, and then probably look at God as Trinity in the following week, and then in the next uh, month or so, we'll be moving to the doctrine of humanity. And so we'll just keep going through uh, the doctrines of Scripture, or the doctrines of systematic theology. So tonight, we're in the doctrine of God as Creator. The question that arises is, where did we come from? And what does the Bible say about where we've come from? So what I've done is I've given you about seven or eight questions there, Uh, that we're going to try to ask and answer uh, and give you some places to take notes and have some uh, interaction with, and then we'll walk away with a few takeaways. What do we do with this concept of God as creator? Of course, the Bible begins with this. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible begins with the doctrine of creation. But that's not just true for us in our worldview. Uh, Question number one is this, why the doctrine of creation? Let me say this very clearly. Every worldview must answer the question of origin. We're Christians. We're unapologetically Christians. We're a particular tradition of Christians. We're in a Southern Baptist church. That's our tradition of Christianity. Most of you don't have any problem at all with recognizing that we believe God created the world. But that's not a unique claim or a unique idea that our worldview has to answer. Every other worldview, atheism, naturalism, Buddhism, Hinduism, ancient religious systems, they all have to answer the question, where did we come from? Where did we come from? How did we get here? How did the things that that we see come about? And so, biblical creation is one answer to that particular question. In uh, in, in, um, In the Old Testament, the word create, so God created, chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, is the word bara. It is a technical term that is reserved for God's act of creation. The 50 times it's used in the Old Testament, all of those instances are only used of God. A lot lot of times we think of the term create as something that we can do as well, and we can. We'll get into that in detail when we look at the doctrine of humanity. You and I can make things. You and I can design things. You and I can put things together that are utterly beautiful and glorious and wonderful. You heard that with a piano piece being played or with a song 
being sung or a painting being painted. But the word bara is specifically used for God, God creating something when there was nothing there. God speaking it into existence. So the word create in the Old Testament is uniquely used of God to speak about his creation. In his book, Genesis in Space and Time, Francis Schaeffer summarizes the other options that are available for us considering where did we come from. Let me give you four options that Schaeffer recognized. Option number one, once there was absolutely nothing, and now there is something. So when he says absolutely nothing, he means absolutely nothing. I mean, if you're looking at this logically, you look around, there's something here, right? I mean, you're here. I think you're here. I'm pretty sure I'm here. I can feel my fingers. I can hear myself talk. So there is something here. So before there was something here, we all agree there's something here, there was absolutely nothing. That's one worldview option. Obviously, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that there was absolutely nothing and now there is something. Another option would be that everything began with an impersonal something. This would be uh, the, the Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, begin with that impersonal something. There's some kind of thing, nothingness, whatever you want to call it, way out in the background, and, it, and it eventually it kind of caused everything that is. The problem with an impersonal ultimate reality is that you and I are personal. You cannot get personality from impersonality. There are many things that are alive that are impersonal. Plants are impersonal, and plants can be absolutely beautiful, but a plant cannot procreate and cause something of personal uh, and realistic interaction uh, it can't do it because it's impersonal. And so other worldviews that answer the question, there's an impersonal ultimate reality behind what we see, that just doesn't fit or accord with our human experience because you and I are persons. You have your own unique interactions with other people. Uh, some would say that we're really just products of chance and fate and we're not really individual persons. Uh, if you have kids, you know that's not true. Because my kids don't do what I want them to do because I think it into their minds. They are their own little persons, sometimes their own little devils. And husband and wife, sometimes you're your own little devil to your spouse. I mean, we, we are personal. We, we think individually and uniquely. Where did that come from, right? That would be the third explanation that, that uh, Schaefer um, uh, gives us. Everything began with a personal something. In other words, ultimate reality behind what we see is personal. And that's really what biblical Christianity suggests. That behind everything that we see is a God who is both knowable and known and has revealed himself as we've spent the previous weeks and months working through the doctrine of revelation. God speaks. God accords with our knowledge. He speaks to us. He is accountable or or we're accountable to him because he can talk to us. We can talk to him. So there is a personal something behind ultimate reality. That's what biblical Christianity says. A fourth option that is posed as a worldview option would be this. There is and always has been a dualism. Uh, This is the idea of yin and yang. If you want more pop culture uh, ideology there, it would be Star Wars mythology where you have 
the good and the evil part of the force, the bad and the good. That is a dualistic idea that, that both have to remain in balance. Uh, the, the ultimate reality or the ultimate problem with that is, you know, if, if good and evil have to remain in balance, then there always has to be evil for there to be good. And there's not really much hope in that ultimate worldview because we can't believe that then good will win out. Good doesn't really win out in a truly dualistic uh, mindset. So what we have in biblical Christianity is something that is unique in that we believe there's a personal creator who spoke the world into existence, and that personal creator has given us the privilege of knowing him. So that's the first question, why creation? Uh, the second question is a, is a follow-up to that. Why the biblical creation account when there are other creation narratives? Some have posed this observation over the years uh, as a common criticism to the Bible. There are numerous creation myths and they cannot be literally true. If you're anything, if you're a person who studied ancient history, there are all sorts of other mythological accounts of creation. It's absolutely factual. Um, Michael Horton put it this way. He said, creation by Yahweh or creation by God is unique in the ancient creation stories. God announced in history and by revelation his claim upon all. In other creation accounts, the narratives allude to strife between deities, chaos, or disaster that result in creation. He continues, there are dozens of other creation narratives, and he's right, not all of them can be true, but just because a lot of them are not true doesn't mean that one cannot be true. To just lump every mythological account into a big pile and say because it's ancient it can't be factual and true is, is really uh, arrogant, quite arrogant, to say that it can't be true. To prove something by negation is really hard to do, by the way. Uh, there can't be a God. God can't have spoken the world into existence. If I claim that, then I have to also claim that I have the knowledge to be able to assert that claim. Uh, and, and that's really problematic, really difficult. I don't have that knowledge. I can't go throughout all of human history and prove all of the things that I say can't be true. So just because there are a multitude of creation accounts that aren't true doesn't mean there can't be one that is true. Then our challenge as Christians is to explore what does the Bible tell us and does what the Bible tell us accord with or does the, what the Bible tell us uh, function consistently with the scientific observations that we see in our world. That's the challenge where we are today. One of the most fascinating things about the biblical creation account, and we as Christians would like God to have explained himself more or maybe defended himself, but God is a very matter-of-fact deity. God did not give us Genesis 1 and 2 to explain or defend biblical Christianity or biblical creationism. God simply declared himself. I mean, think about it. In the beginning, God. There's no prior, uh, here's how you can know I exist. He doesn't do that. He really doesn't do that in any place in the New or Old Testament. He doesn't defend himself. He simply declares himself, says, this is who I am, and here is how you can know me. And creation is one of the greatest ways that we can know there is a God who exists. Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare his handiwork and the earth shows forth his glories and his praise. When we look around, we see that there has to be someone behind us. 
By the way, that's a tacit affirmation of biblical creationism. There are a lot of folks that live in the world today that are atheists or naturalists or do not believe there's a God behind all of this, but they are in the very small minority of people that have lived on planet Earth. In fact, more than 90% of people that have ever lived on planet Earth have claimed some sort of belief in a God or a higher power that spoke or that created from some capacity. Why? Because when we look around, we obviously think something out there is bigger and greater than we are because all this is here. And what that's turned into in other world religions is what Paul talks about in Romans 1, where we worship and serve other gods, worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. But that tacitly affirms what the Bible teaches, that there is a God behind all this who created and spoke everything into existence. So here's question number three. This would be an interesting question for us as Christians. Does it really matter what we believe about creation? So uh, some have observed over the years, we could just hold on to some kind of evolutionary naturalism theory and uh, kind of connect it to what the Bible teaches and we can just meld those two together and we'll be just fine. Uh, Does it really matter what we believe? Yeah, it really does matter what we believe. Here's why. Because where the story starts, it determines where the story finishes. So if we're going to have a God who is, who is ruler, who is king, who is Lord, as the rest of the Bible declares him to be through the Old and New Testament, particularly in Revelation when he comes back and sets up his kingdom, if we ignore that God at the beginning part of his storytelling at Genesis and say that God doesn't really exist, he's something of a figment of our imagination, that it undercuts the entirety of the rest of the scriptural narrative. It really does matter where we begin with our creation account. So how we begin the story shapes how the story can finish. Let me ask a fourth question. This is a fascinating uh, uh, question that I won't take a whole lot of time with, but I do want to recommend a reference to you uh, after I'm done with the question. Number four, is the creation account material or functional in emphasis? Now let me explain that for just a second. We tend to think in our world today in material terms. I don't mean that in the sense of materialism as a worldview. I mean that we tend to think of that in terms of what came into being. So we're interested in how did something happen when before there was something, nothing was there. One of the reasons we're interested in that is because a competing narrative against biblical creation would be Big Bang cosmology. The, the idea that there was an explosion that happened in some, at some point in previous history, whether that was several million years ago or several hundred million years ago, there was an explosion, and that explosion is what spread out all the matter that has made up our universe. And so in our thinking, one of the things we're focused on then is where did the stuff come from that exploded or where did the stuff come from that we exist in? We think in material terms in creation. Where did all this begin? But Genesis 1 and 2, according to a a fascinating book, and I don't buy all the arguments in it, uh, and, and by the way, you should read a lot. I encourage you to read a lot. The more you read, the more you're going to realize some people know what they're talking about. Some people don't know what they're talking about. You're going to agree with some people about 80% of their stuff and agree with other people about 30% of their stuff. And that's actually not a bad thing for us to do. It teaches us critical thinking. 
But nevertheless, in his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, um, uh, the author, and hold on a second, let me get his name. I don't think I wrote it down. The Lost World of Genesis 1, he makes the argument that the primary emphasis of Genesis 1 and 2 is about functional, uh, ex- the functional experience of creation rather than the material uh, kind of behind the scenes of where everything came from. And he makes that point, if you, if you think about the days of creation, what did God create on the first day? Some of you, let's go back and do a Sunday school lesson. What did God create on day one? What? Light. God created light on day one. What did he create on day two? The sky and the waters. So light, sky, and waters. What did he create on day three? Land and the plants. And so you have sky, you have light, you have sky, and then you have sky and water, and you have land and plants. Where did the light come from? Which was created on, well, if it came from the sun, it was created on what? Day four. The sun, moon, and stars were created on day four. And then on day five, you have the land animals, or excuse me, the water animals and the birds. And day six, you have the land animals and man. And so what you see is kind of a back and forth in the creation story. You have light, and then you have the luminaries that gave us light, days one and four. You have heavens, the the sky and the water on day two. And on day five, you have the birds and and the water animals. And then on day five, you have the land animals and plants or the the land and the plants, rather. And on day five, you have the animals that inhabit the land animals, right? And eat the plants and that sort of thing. So what's going on there? Because it doesn't make sense, right? If light, how did light happen before there was a sun, moon, and stars? What's going on there? And I think what the author of The Lost World in Genesis 1, he reflects on is that that's a functional cosmology, meaning that the, the Old Testament folks, when Moses was writing this down under the direction of the Holy Spirit, they weren't asking the question, where did something come from when there was nothing before it? That would not have been a question on their minds because they were living in a world where they were only thinking that there's something here because they're thinking here. They're not thinking about their universe in some massive terms. They're thinking about the world in which they exist. And so they're thinking in functional terms, not so much material terms. And and that shouldn't shake us because if God spoke the world into existence, he's spoken into existence out of nothing. It still had to come from somewhere, even if it came from, even if it, it, it came a lot longer than that uh, ago than, than we're comfortable with. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what that means is that I, I, I think Genesis 1 and 2 tell us a lot about creation, but they don't tell us everything you and I would like to know about creation. Can I say that out loud? I would like to know exactly how God put all this together. Genesis 1 and 2 doesn't tell us that. It just tells us that he did put it together. And by the way, Genesis 1 and 2 with that functional cosmology there, it really lends very well to the idea of day 7, God resting. Why did God rest on day 7? Because he put everything in order. Everything was working exactly like it should work. In other words, his creative work was finished. He rested, and that rest is a picture of worship. It's a picture of focusing on the God who put everything in order as it is. 
Now, that particular functional question is going to lead into a couple of things that are important for us as Christians to consider. They're the kind of questions that we're going to ask. So, how old is the earth? How long have we been around? Those kind of questions. And what do we do with those things as they may be in a little bit of discord with what physics would tell us or what science would tell us? So, here's question number five. Are the days of creation literal or figurative? Meaning, uh, did God create day one right after, or day two right after day one? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I think the Bible is pretty clear that they're literal days. I think God created light on day one. He created uh, the sky and the waters on day two. Evening and morning, evening and morning are parallel terms. Evening and morning were the first day. And day, yom, means a 24-hour period. I mean, that's just what the text says. Just looking at the text, it's a literal day. The reason that matters, as far as we're concerned, is because some Christians have observed over the years, well, if it's functional, if that's the way God created things, then couldn't God have used evolutionary means to bring about all the things that we see? Because don't the Bible and science live in discord with one another? I'll be honest with you, the Bible and science don't live in discord at all, not real science. Uh, And and I would commend to you a book called Believing is Seeing. I'm about 70 pages into that book right now. It's a book by a physicist and astronomer who basically came to faith in Jesus because he looked at science. And one of the things that he noticed in looking at science and looking at the Bible is that the basic answers come back to the same type of worldview truths or same type of worldview realities. Uh, And and so he affirms that, hey, listen, the Bible says this and science says this. They're not in discord. Where do science and the Bible, where are science and the Bible in discord? And I would argue that theories in science and the Bible are in discord. So it is absolutely true to say evolutionary naturalism is in discord with what the Bible teaches. But evolutionary naturalism is not science. It is a theory to explain how we came about. It's not a firm science for a, a, a whole lot of reasons. One major reason is that the, uh, the geological structure structures that Darwin predicted would have all of these missing links in terms of the, uh, the, 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 all of the, the fossil record, they don't exist. There's not just a missing link that shows us how we get from amoeba to human. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of missing links. They just they don't exist. There's not a, a clear trail from Darwinian evolutionary naturalism, the idea of the descent of species to where we are today, it's just not there. Um, Other issues with evolutionary naturalism, significant issues are are the fact that evolutionary naturalism doesn't make sense of order, doesn't make sense of laws and the way things function. The idea in evolutionary naturalism is that we exist by what? Anybody know the big word? It begins with C-H? Chance. We came about by chance. Do you realize if we have a world that came about by chance, law, order, systems, and structure are only here by chance? Meaning that if chance is how we came about, then we can't really hold on with any confidence to anything that we say is a law or is a clear structure. Well, that, that's not the world we live in. We live in a world that is clearly ordered. 
In fact, one of the things physicists tell us is that if some of the constants that are, do occur in the world, such as, uh, such as speed or such as the weight of gravity, if those constants were anywhere different, we would not have life as we know it. But yet we have life as we know it. Things are ordered just so, so that we could have life. How did that happen? Well, it happened because God ordered it that it would happen. Uh, in fact, it, one of the things I love about studying space or thinking about space is how often astronomers will tell us, maybe we found another planet with life. Right? They talk about planets living in the Goldilocks zone. Maybe there's life on that planet. Well, maybe there is. It wouldn't shake my faith if God put life on another planet somewhere else. But here's the reality. There's only one planet that has the exact right structure of, of weight, of gravity, and all the other constants that are necessary for you and I to live. If the water balance was different on our planet or the gravity balance was different on our planet, we'd never have water. So we couldn't survive without water and we couldn't actually walk around because gravity would either flatten us to the planet or we'd float. And so we couldn't actually exist, but it's exactly the right, um, the right specific uh, meter, the right specific number so that you and I can actually live in life. Why? Because it's ordered. Because God set it up that way. The, the challenges though that that, then that brings to us are, okay, if these are literal days of creation, day six, then when did God create everything else? Um, the answer to that question is, I don't know. So, so some of you are going to ask, so how long has the world been around? How long has the earth been around? How long has the universe been in existence? I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't have a great answer to that question. Physicists are going to argue that if there is, was some kind of beginning point to the universe that happened millions of years ago, if they're using evolutionary naturalism, their terminology, they're going to say billions of years ago. Uh, I do know this, that we have an ever-expanding universe. It's not stopping. So some of you are like, man, does that really shake my faith? Well, let me just pause and give you some help here. If the universe had a starting point, then it had a nothing point. Someone had to start what started. Okay? That actually accords much more clearly with biblical cosmology, Genesis 1 and 2, than it does with anything that any evolutionary teacher is ever going to bring up. Because if we say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, which the Bible says and claims, then that means God started what is. So whether that was a really long time ago or something you're more comfortable with 15 or 20,000 years ago, it doesn't really matter if God is the originator and starter of that. Does that make sense? Another factor that plays in the favor of biblical Christianity, a recent kind of study came out, uh, it's been about two or three years ago, where someone traced the human genes, human genes, and they went back in the human genes. And one of the things they discovered is that they believe that the human gene went back to an original couple. Now, their date range was like 200,000 years ago. I don't know if I buy 200,000 years. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But here's the, here's the kicker. The Bible says there was an original couple named Adam and Eve. In evolutionary 
uh, ideology, the idea of creation, we came about in all different spans from all different organisms, and we evolved over an, an exorbitant period of time. Well, what science actually shows is that we came from a couple, maybe 15 or 20,000 years ago, maybe 200,000 years ago. In any case, a couple accords with what the Bible says uh, much more clearly than anything that evolutionary naturalism is going to teach. For me, I tend to think that, that human civilization, uh, that what we know about human civilization, 10 to 15,000 years old is probably a max. And so I would put human, the human origins of, of life on planet Earth when God put Adam and Eve on planet Earth to be about 10 or 15,000 years ago which accords with both, both what we can know from history and prehistory and with what fits in Scripture. Uh, now, how does that square with what physicists are going to tell us about the expanding universe? Let me, just, uh, let me just argue for something here for a second. If God created something out of nothing, how old was Adam when God created him? When God created Adam on that day six of creation, how old was he? What? He was zero. A day old. But how old did he look? Yeah, he was a man. God didn't put zero, zero day old baby Adam with zero day old baby Eve. And, and then, you know, wallow around in, 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 in a complete inability to survive. Catch this. God created Adam and Eve with apparent age. Okay? That's clear from the text. If God created Adam and Eve with apparent age, could he not create everything that we see with apparent age? I mean, I, it doesn't trouble me if physicists say the universe is expanding at this rate, which would make it hundreds of millions of years old. I could care less. God could have created it with apparent age. Or... He could have caused an explosion like the Big Bang cosmology, begun it, which by the way, that's really interesting as well, because some of the Big Bang phys physicists will argue that that explosion, in the, in the moment of that explosion, there was a pause, and there was a giant burst of light in that pause, and then everything kept expanding to, to where it is now, or where it is continuing now. It's just interesting that, and God said, let there be light. If... if that was the means by which the beginning began. If that explosion, if that's the way God did that and then allowed hundreds of millions of years for all of the planets to spread out and Earth to be hit by an asteroid and turned on its axis and then God put life on planet Earth at some point in that process, that doesn't shake my faith. It doesn't bother me whether it's hundreds of thousands of years old or 10,000 years old. Somebody still had to put everything in existence. Somebody still had to speak that into life, speak human life into existence. Again, the issue of apparent age, it doesn't trouble me. So if you're a young earth uh, person, 10 or 15,000 years, fantastic. If you're old earth, 100,000 years, fantastic. If you go even years beyond that, okay, I can live with that as well. The Bible doesn't answer those questions, okay? I, I try to tell you what the Bible says authoritatively. What I'm telling you is what the Bible can give us a sense for what we can argue for. The Bible doesn't tell us how long we've been around. It just tells us that we're around. And then what we have to do is make sense of the world in which we live. 
So we are persons who live in the world around other persons. Where did that come from? It came from a God who said, let us make man in our image. And we'll get into the doctrine of humanity in a few weeks, which really helps us explain and make sense of the world in which we live. So let me get to question six. I've sort of already answered this. But were Adam and Eve real, and were they the first two people on planet Earth? Yes. Rejecting a literal Adam and Eve necessitates a rejection of the biblical storyline. If we take away Adam and Eve, then we, we undercut what the Bible says about itself. Uh, Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I got two degrees, um, he, he wrote wrote this. He said, the denial of an historical Adam and Eve is the fir- as the first parents of all humanity. And the solitary first human pair of, uh, severs the link between Adam and Christ, which is so crucial to the gospel. If we do not know how the story of the gospel begins, then we do not know what that story means. Make no mistake, a false start to the story produces a false grasp of the gospel. I don't believe God used evolutionary means to put anything into place. I don't think it fits the, the system. The timeline doesn't worry me and affect me. What I do think is clear that we have to hold as biblical Christians is what the Bible teaches us about how Adam and Eve came into being. God created Adam out of the dirt. He breathed life into him. He created Eve out of Adam, breathed life into her, and gave them a specific responsibility Uh, to procreate, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And by the way, here's a fascinating reality from history. If you're a student of history, if you go back and look at prehistory, look at civilizations and all of those things, one of the things you're going to discover is that civilizations accord with what the Bible says about human reality. Look at Genesis 1 through 12, read the story of what happens. People got into, they, they, they moved into cities and they decided to build that big tower, right? And they couldn't get along and they, you know, they, God, or they could get along. They, they were going to build a tower to heaven and God confused their languages and spread them out all across planet earth. And what do we discover in human history? Well, you've got civilizations in Ur and civilizations in Egypt and civilizations in other places across the world. And what do you discover in those civilizations? People trying to get along, people not getting along, people murdering one another, people getting angry at one another, people worshiping all sorts of different deities and gods and all of that. That's what history shows us. So whatever you think about what happened prehistory, which we don't know, You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can't discover by looking at genealogical records. They're not records for that that age of human experience. It's just not there that we can study in accord. What we do study in accord is we see it's consistent with what the Bible teaches. That's what's fascinating. Let me move on. Question seven, are there two different creation accounts? One criticism of Christianity has been that Genesis 1 teaches one creation version and Genesis 2 teaches another creation version talking about the specifics of Adam and Eve. I don't think there are two different accounts at all. I don't think it was two different authors. I think it was Moses, God speaking through Moses to write down Genesis 1 and 2. Here's why. Genesis 2 is just a, an unpacking of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 chronologically accords days 1 through 6 of creation and day 7, God's day of rest. Genesis 2 just is a deeper and more specific picture of how God created mankind. That's typical biblical language. Look at the book of Revelation. There are all sort of times where God tells us something in the book 
in the Bible, and then in the next chapter or the next section, he unpacks it. He, he helps us make sense of it. He goes deeper. He helps us make more full sense of what he's doing in a previous statement that he made. That, that's all that's going on in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, so those are the seven questions. Uh, let me give us a couple of takeaways, and we'll finish up for tonight. Takeaway number one, what we believe about origin and creation shapes our worldview and our values. I can't stress the importance of this enough. The beginning of a worldview guides and governs what we think, believe, and understand regarding the rest of our lives. If God spoke the world into existence as he said in Genesis 1, which I believe he did, then we owe allegiance to that God who created everything. It's one of the reasons you're going to discover, and you should do this on your own. Read through the prayers of the Old Testament. Daniel 9, Nehemiah chapter 1. Read through the prayers of uh, of the New Testament believers. Acts chapter 4. Read what Paul said in Acts 17 to the the, 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 uh, religious people at Athens. Almost all of those prayers and all of those statements start with God as creator. Because if God spoke the world into existence as He said, then we answer to the God who spoke the world into existence. And so if you and I are going to ignore God and don't want to have anything to do with God, then we've got to come up with how did we get here and what's going on in the world. And by the way, that's exactly what we see in contemporary Western culture. Contemporary Western culture has rejected the idea of God as creator, of God in charge, of God ruling over us, And so what have we done? We've adopted our own value system. We said, I'm going to make myself my own deity, or I'm going to give allegiance to this other ideology, and it's going to be what governs what I decide and who I am. And so the values are completely in discord with what the Bible teaches. That's that's what we're seeing today. As Christians, we don't have a right to do that. I don't have a right to come up with my own value system. I don't have a right to say, okay, today I want to think that I'm this person and I want to identify as this and I want this to control me when tomorrow I can just change my mind. No, that doesn't work that way because we live under a God who created and spoke everything into existence. Framed in biblical revelation, what God has said about himself, what God has said about us, what God says about how we're to live and behave. That's why biblical Christianity is going to consistently be at odds with the contemporary trajectory of values and worldview because we start at two different places. Uh, Most of the world in naturalism or in atheism starts without any kind of rules because there's no kind of God. And so there are no rules for what we think and what we value. Biblical Christianity starts at a completely different place. And so, by the way, we'll get to this in detail when we look at the doctrine of humanity, but that's why the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s didn't stop at uh, permissive sexuality. It moved to aberrant or deviant forms of sexuality. That's why it didn't stop there either. It went to... What we're having now and dealing with with transgender ideology, why did it go there? Here's a clue. The reason it goes there is because the contemporary value system is going to attack anything that says that there is a structure and an order to the way we were created and designed. It's ultimately an attack on what God has said about himself and what God has said about us in Genesis 1 and 2. So if we as Christians are going to hold to a 
biblical worldview and begin with creation, we're going to consistently be at odds with the value system in the rest of the world. It's just the way it is. And so we need to be okay with that, be ready for that. But that's the framework uh, in which we find ourselves. Uh, And we're going to unpack that in a lot more depth, probably in about a month or so, when we get into the doctrine of humanity. Here's takeaway number two. The revelation of God as creator highlights God's sovereignty and morality, both materially and functionally in the world. The revelation of God as creator highlights his sovereignty and morality, both materially and functionally. So everything that we see materially came from God. He created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. But he also set the world into motion as it should operate, functionally. He designed it to work as it works. There are some things that should just blow our mind about how they work. I mean, why in the world did God create fireflies? Some of you are wondering, why did he create spiders and mice and snakes and all of those things? They function in the world in which we live. Salt water and fresh water. God made the world to function in such a way that it works. It shows his sovereignty. It shows his morality. It shows that he's absolutely in charge. It's a beautiful takeaway for us when we think about the doctrine of creation. Here's the final one. We must humbly adore our Creator God in praise, worship, and thanksgiving. So Dr. Mike and Dustin and I went to a worship conference uh, Sunday afternoon and all day Monday and came back yesterday afternoon. And one of the things that we did, and you you heard Dr. Mike, I kind of got to hold him back sometimes. I mean, he was pumped and excited tonight. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, about us singing and us worshiping. And you're going to hear some of that from Dustin in coming weeks and hear some of that from Mike in the coming weeks. Uh, Why? Because God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our exaltation. Folks, if, if he's the one that spoke the world into existence, he's worthy of our praise. Plain and simple. He, 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 the best thing we can do, the most true and real thing we can do is say about God what... God is, and what is true about God, and He is the Creator. Pause and think about this for a second, just a second. Some of you have seen beauty today. Some of you saw some beautiful sunrises. This afternoon, there were clouds in the sky. And how, have you ever just looked at the clouds in the sky and noticed how many shades of gray are in the sky, in clouds? I mean, who would think that up? I mean, I mean some of us, some of you in the room, are very creative And can do some things beautifully. But none of us, none of us, think about something that doesn't exist and put it into existence in any form of music or any form of art. Because anything that we do that is beautiful or that is art or that is music, Dustin, is something that somebody else taught us, showed us, or or developed. Right? God thought up fireflies from nothing. There were no such thing as fireflies. And he thought, okay, let me make a bug that looks like a star. So the kids will run around and chase them. Let me make stars that these people I'm going to make in my image can look up in the sky and see 
there's a star and then there's a multitude of stars. And then he used those stars to give a promise to Abraham and said, your, your children will be like the stars in the sky. And he, he just said, I'm going to do this to, to show off my grandeur and my glory. And then just think, he thought you up out of nothing. God thought that the world would be a more glorious representation of himself if he designed someone like you. Some of you are like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that special. I'm not that unique. I, I'm not sure I, I really fit. I've got a place. In the, you wonder about all those things. God thought you had a place in the world because God designed you. I wish he had designed me taller. Some of you wish he had designed you a little differently. He thought you up. I mean, that's pretty spectacular that God would do that and then put us in the world and not just us. I mean, we can think about it in terms of God created us in his image so that we can enter into a relationship with him. I think God thought up all sort of stuff, grass and trees and, and, and he thought it up. He designed it from nothing to show off His greatness and His glory. Folks, if that's the God we serve, then that's the God we should praise. He's worthy of our praise and worship. He just deserves it. So when you show up on Sunday, and we invite you to sing and pray and listen to God's Word, and when you come back next Wednesday, you know, think that anything I say about God that is worthy of who he is that's the praise that he deserves because this is what he thought up this is what he designed this is how he put everything into place so that we would have the privilege to worship him and really blows our minds that he would come and dwell us through his holy spirit so that we can know him and talk with him so that we're never alone and that should just I mean I don't have time to continue preaching it's time for us to be done but uh, that's, that's where we're headed. We'll come back next week and talk about God's sovereignty uh, and His authority, His reign, and His providence. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We'll see you Sunday before then. Hope you have a great night. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.